Hear the word of our Lord from the epistle of St. Peter, the first one, beginning in the first chapter and 13th verse. Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him the glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. So, having done a uh, very, very angry, very uh, unhappy reacts type of uh, introduction and prologue to the False Alphas series, let's go ahead and kick it off. We're going to be looking at a series of pastors and or theologians and or bloggers, oh we have one in mind there, that presented themselves as the paragon of masculinity while having a really jacked up view of Christianity. Why? Because they were not willing to go all the way regarding patriarchy, regarding what the Bible says about men and women. And, well, even if some of them did, their screwed up theology made it impossible for them to really assist the church in doing anything to fight back against the rising tide of secularism. In our last episode, we talked about the failure of purity culture. Why? Because that was the church collectively attempting to respond to porn on the airwaves and, and different temptations, kids being told to do evil things, sexual permissiveness being everywhere. It was an attempt by evangelicalism to respond to the sexual revolution. And yes, I was... Uh, I was a bit stream of consciousness and refer in how I was yelling about all of it. But the main points was that, well, at the end of the day, the purity movement failed because they failed to engage in church discipline, making examples out of people that screwed up and really, really getting people to repent and getting other people to get in line. And in addition to that, they had no real legitimate answer to the advent of online pornography. But before there was the big fat version of the sexual revolution that we're in, the, the end stage, your kids are cutting off their genitals, uh, there's porn absolutely everywhere, WAP by Cardi B becomes a Billboard Top 100 hit, and all sorts of other disgusting things happen. There was the original sexual revolution, and there were various attempts in the church 
for people to try to defend traditional Christian morality and traditional Christian theology. So today, before we get to some of the more infamous examples, yes, we will have a, uh, a Mark Driscoll episode. I promise you, we will have a Mark Driscoll episode of the False Alpha series. But before him, there was another false alpha, another guy that presented himself as the Ur alpha, the super macho man, the very, very Baptist type of guy here. His name was Robert Bunger Theme Jr. Very few people today really know his name. But Bob Theme, or the Colonel as he was colloquially known, at one point was the biggest name in church splits. There was a, an old song that people used to sing, my hope is built on nothing less than Bob Theme's notes and his cassettes. Bob Theme, the colonel. Born in 1918 on April Fool's Day, Bob Theme, he, he really liked Bob Theme. He had an idea of what he wanted to be. And uh, what he ended up being and what he wanted to be are basically the same thing. He is a man who realized his dream. So who was he? He was the pastor of a church called Baracha Church. <laughs> and of course it's Hebrew. Because in the midst of that he was a dispensational free grace Baptist. A dispensationalist free grace Baptist Theologian. Now, if that is a, if there was a mix made in hell, that's it. But in addition to that, he was at one point a lieutenant colonel during World War II. Let's go to a blog called Theomite to describe just what it was like uh, growing up in a the Baraka or Baraka Church, whatever uh, experience here. Because Bob Theme wasn't your, uh, your John F. MacArthur Jr. type of uh, Baptist dispensationalist theologian. Oh, no, 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 no. He had a different way of running his church. Let's, uh, let's take a look from here from theomite.blogspot.com. Not thelemite, theomite.blogspot.com. T-H-I-E-M-I-T-E. From Mint Juleps, a former Theomite who is now uh, part of the Reformed uh, movement, an interesting former Theomite testimony about experience at the Baraka Church. I was a Baraka baby, there in diapers in the mid-1960s, and attended without fail until I entered the army in 1980. My last visit to Baraka Church was in May 1984. My parents began attending when Theme was preaching on the uh, Quonset Hut somewhere downtown before the current facility was constructed. I am pleased to say that by the grace of Almighty God, my family escaped from Baraka Church. My intention here is to offer my personal views and experiences. I know of quite a number of people who were friends of mine in the 70s and 80s that still attend. They made their last visit to Baraka in 1981. I was home on leave and so thrilled to be a part of the military communion at Christmas, a ceremony I now regard as blasphemous. The focus of communion should be on Jesus Christ, 
not all the pretty uniforms. It is completely out of place, but I digress. So right off the bat, and if you go to themite.blogspot.com, you will notice that, I mean, this is what the blog says. They had a military communion. <laughs> if guys like Mark Driscoll were out there being the biggest man in the room, saying that they got into all sorts of fights as a kid, Bob Theme's masculine presentation was, I'm in the military. I was in the military. Look at me, sir. I was an officer in the military. Military, military, military. It's kind of was just his thing. <laughs> Let's keep reading for some details. The weirdness began in the early 1970s. R.B. Theme Jr. I will do all that I can to refrain from referring to him as the colonel, began wearing his old staff officer World War II uniform for the various conferences. This was, I believe, about the same time that his son was commissioned as an army officer. The Vietnam War was ending and Theme began pushing a strong pro-military stance, incorporating this stance, as we all well know, into his ministry. A massive ranger tab appeared on the balcony of the church where the children's classes, formerly known as Junior Church, were held. Sidebar. As a child, I attended Junior Church under the guidance of Sam Hankins, an amazing man and true teacher of the Bible. He was fired by Theme, and Theme announced one night that he had taken control of what would now be known as prep school. <laughs> Golly, if this is the Navy, this would have been called like A school or something. But continuing on. Uh, it was, in my opinion, in conversations with those younger than I, an unparalleled disaster and warped many young lives. The hallway behind the pulpit became Ranger Hall, with huge photos of any man who was qualified as a ranger. How pleased God must have been by all this. I remember the summer of 1974, the 4th of July conference, ranger demonstrations, hand-to-hand -hand combat in the grass, or quad, Gary Horton rappelling out of the completely abandoned baptistry, and people sitting on the floor. In those days, tapers took their holiday vacations to come to Baraka. One had to arrive a couple hours before services began just to get a seat. All kinds of men carrying concealed weapons, ready to take a bullet if the doors ever crashed in and Soviet agents came to get Theme, who was, by his own admission, on several death lists as their chief protagonist. <clears throat> Pardon me while I clear my throat. Police patrolling the parking lot, making sure no indigent, homeless, or hippie types got in. Please, try to justify this exclusion using your Bible. I dare you. And as a young man living in perpetual terror that at any moment now the communists were coming to get me. They were heady times. Are we starting to notice, um, <clears throat> are we starting to notice just a little bit of craziness here? Ah, uh, yeah, just a little bit. Well, I don't think there's anything wrong with being a bit proud of your status as a veteran. I'm a veteran. I served in the United States Navy. I'm not proud of it. I was, dis I was uh, honorably discharged, but um, no, I don't think I ever fought for anything worth fighting for. But back in the day, you know, you could have made an argument back when people didn't really know any better about how America operates, that guys like Bob Deem had something to be proud of. And having a church with a, a bit of a goofy little theme, no pun intended, 
A goofy theme or motif occasionally isn't a bad thing if they don't go overboard. Bob's theme went overboard. Almost literally, and having guys rappelling down the baptistry is going overboard, period. But let's just read a little bit more. I was speaking on the telephone to a good friend of mine just last night. He still lives in Houston, and his family left in the same time frame as ours. No, there was a considerable exodus from Berakha from 1980 to 1985. You will find many of these folks at First Baptist, Second Baptist, and Spring Branch. He made the point that his family has been in disarray ever since, and this was 20 years ago. Four siblings, all with children now, and none of them ever see each other. He stated that he credits Barakah with this dysfunction, as there was never time for family. Dad came home, gobbled some dinner, packed up the family off to church five nights a week, twice on Sunday, with Barach night at the movies, available for Saturday night entertainment. And to keep the congregation from having to mingle with anyone beyond the doors of Fort Barakah, I'm relieved and blessed to say that my parents were saved before joining Barakah, and we're all fine, and all members of various Baptist and non-denom Christian churches. I have three older sisters, and the eldest suffered the worst fate. She graduated high school in 1973, having found her right man who was in Marine ROTC. He was commissioned in 1975, and she spent the next several years under the iron-fisted neglect of one of Theme's star minions. He would get off duty, come home, bark a few orders, and tell her how horrible the house looked. It was always immaculate. Then lock himself in the study for the duration of the night and suck down his nightly load of doctrine. This was their routine, and it never changed. There was no physical abuse, but neither was there a marriage. Nothing with even a passing resemblance to the love and sacrifice that husbands are called to. They divorced, and she eventually found her new mate, I guess. She is one of the premier examples of the ludicrous right-man-right-woman doctrine that sent all single barracons into a frenzy of dating and social events. A mad race to find their right-man-right-woman. Well, interesting stuff, isn't it? Now, this guy still agrees with a lot of Bob Thien's theology, but before we read any more of this, what the heck led to a church being like this? Well, first off, Bob Theme is kind of a contradictory figure. Now, he wrote over a hundred books. He preached over 10,000 sermons. He is one of the most voluminous of the Baptists out there in the modern to semi-modern age. He is extremely, well, illustrious, if you will. And he had a very special thing that doesn't sound bad when you think about it. Ice. I-C-E, Isagogics, Categories, and Exegesis. And this is, this is honestly how he got to writing over 100 books and 10,000 sermons. He would do Isagogics, meaning let's study the context and authors of Holy Scripture. Then he would go into Categories, which is let's look at our topic or our pericope of Scripture through the category of theology that it is presenting to us. And then exegesis. Let's look at the actual text itself and see what it says. Nothing wrong with that. But um, Bob Theme had an issue in that his theology was all home-brewed. So he would start every class and most of his sermons by 
quoting Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be mature, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. But when he talked about his theology, he had a hard time getting his understanding of it, his homebrewed theology with his Baptist experience, um, he couldn't really translate it into terms and ideas that everybody else understood from different Christian backgrounds. So this kind of led to his church being a church alone. Uh, here's an example of that. When a Lutheran says, we are justified by faith alone, what we mean is, by faith in Christ, the Heavenly Father looks at us and says, because of the blood of my Son, I am counting that individual as righteous. They believe in and trust in my Son, Jesus Christ, for their salvation. And as Jesus has fulfilled the demands of the law and paid the punishment due to humanity in the cross then this person is counted as righteous. He is entrusting himself to the one individual who has ever satisfied the demands of the law and who has ever been able to bear the punishment that the law brings. How did Bob Thames see it? What was Bob Thames' sola fide? Because if I go to a Calvinist and I say I believe in sola fide, and assuming they're a four-point Calvinist or a generous five-point Calvinist, they would hear me talk about sola fide in that way, and they would, they would say, yeah, more or less, that's what I agree with. Most Baptists would say the same thing. Theme, on the other hand, was more about what you don't do. Because for him, faith alone in Christ meant a positive mental assent or a, a positive volition towards Jesus Christ. Meaning, uh, in his understanding of the Greek verb, or the Greek term for repentance, metanoia, it would be really just, hey, say the Jesus prayer. Wait, no, you don't have to say a prayer. In fact, you don't have to invite Christ into your heart. You don't have to feel sorry for or repent from your sins. You don't have to walk down an aisle. You don't have to do the baptism bit. You don't have to join a church. You don't have to give money to a church. And you don't have to give up anything you enjoy. He would bring that up all the time. This, this list is from Wikipedia, but it's elsewhere too. His idea was a positive, private volition in Jesus Christ. If you were in the middle of sticking that heroin needle in your arm and you were like, yeah, man, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, he's good. And then you get high on heroin. Doesn't matter, you're saved. That, in other circles, thanks to theologians like Ryrie, is known as free grace or easy believism. But, uh, see, even Ryrie would say there are false converts. Ryrie would say that, you know, no, just saying a prayer doesn't mean that you're automatically saved through this 
this mental volition in Jesus Christ. Bob Thiem, on the other hand, held to eternal security. So if you said in your head, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, that's cool. He died and rose again for my sins and stuff. Boom, done, forever. You are in. You are in the kingdom of heaven. You are going to heaven. You will never taste the sting of death. You are going to be spared from hell. And you could live the rest of your life in fornication and evil and murder and idolatry if you felt like it. It doesn't matter because he held to positive volition salvation plus eternal security. Once saved, always saved. He believed in what you might call like the caricature of eternal security. Because most days, Calvinists will differentiate between eternal security or uh, perseverance of the saints and easy believism. They'll, they'll say pretty, pretty honestly that, hey, no, this doesn't mean that everybody who claims to be a Christian or says something or gets dunked in the water is automatically saved. But Bob Thiem said so. That's what Bob Thiem believed. Now, how, you might wonder, how on earth did he motivate people to go to his church? Well, he did so through positive reinforcement. In James 4, 6, it says God gives greater grace. Now, let's look at that in context real quick before we get into how uh, Bob Thiem or the colonel saw it. But uh, <clears throat> regarding James 4, 6, it says... He gives more grace, therefore it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Bob Thiem cut that in half, saw the greater grace thing, and said, Oh, you know what? There's a thing called super grace, where, like, if you're going to go ahead and be dedicated to God, he's going to reward you, either uh, in time, in, like, the world, with wealth and promotion and success and prosperity, or he's going to give you good friends, or he's going to give you a, a better soul. Super grace. Pick your D&D &D feet. <laughs> if, if this was Dungeons & Dragons, you're a 3.5 edition fighter, and you're getting bonus feats all the time for your de devotion to God. But now that still isn't going to hold things together. Bob Thiem had some, uh, some other ways that he really, really, really did his best to hold his church together and to pe keep people coming. One of those was through doctrines like the right man, right woman thing, where um, if you got married, you could get divorced if you determined that this was not the correct soulmate for you. So he, he presided over a lot of divorces, claiming that it was perfectly Christian, to uh, get married a few times and get divorced a few times in like one year. Because, that, you know, they weren't the right woman. Yes, he held to soulmate theology. I kid you not. So now, hmm, now that leads me to think and suspect that maybe there was a worldly sexual element or at least an antinomian element of I do what I want romantically as long as I can say it's not the right person and that would attract people to go to his church. Um, he also held to uh, some various ideas. The easy believism was uh, attractive to some people to go to his church and for him to be the Pope of his congregation, to be the spiritual authority that was the arbiter of all truth, certainly helped as well. But, uh, let's take a look um, back to this Theomite site here, to the same article we were reading. The first one there from a former Theomite writing in. Um, 
They say, I'll attempt to itemize a few of the thousand things where I'm confident he is or was wrong, and why. I'll try to limit this to ten points. See, again, Bob Thiem was an easy believist, and Bob Thiem was most definitely into super grace. But these things don't, they really don't automatically mean somebody's going to go to church. We see a lot of universalism and universalist ideas within liberal Christianity, but those people, gosh, they're leaving their churches in droves because they don't need to go to church if they know that there's, oh boy, universal salvation, I'm good. So Bob Thiem had some interesting ideas that he, uh, that he tried to introduce. Privacy of the priesthood. This doctrine was pounded home over and over. A heretical invented by Thiem to keep him from having to perform his true duties as a pastor, counseling, visiting, tending the flock. This so-called doctrine was structured to insulate him, aided by his little band of goons, bodyguards, flunkies, and wannabe rangers. This doctrine also kept anyone at the church from contacting my parents when they slipped quietly away after having been members for 30 years. Privacy of the priesthood, meaning, um, well, priests don't have to necessarily do their job. That's between them and God. Two, gates of arrogance. This person says, my goodness, it makes me want to vomit. This doctrine got so convoluted with its countless gates that I came to realize he was just making it all up. If anyone on this planet stands as a shining example of arrogance and megalomania, it's theme. Fired the choir, fired the board, fired the deacons, fired the assistant slash associate pastors, wrote the lyrics to the hymns, and yes, I can still recite Christian soldier and bread of heaven verbatim, and he set himself up as a complete and total dictator, daring anyone to question his authority. This singular position cannot be justified anywhere in the ministry of Jesus Christ, which is exactly why we are given strict guidance on the role of deacons and elders, and especially the pastor. This all came with the swarming crowds attending the conferences. It's all time together, firing everyone and taking complete control. Quite frankly, I just think it simply went to his head. He forgot that he was supposed to be teaching God's word, and the ministry evolved into the truly bizarre stuff. So, Bob Thiem not only tried to attract people with easy believism, and he tried to attract people with a right man, right woman doctrine, and he tried to attract people that wanted to uh, see the privacy of the priesthood as a way to become a bodyguard, maybe some uh, professional incentives there. He also was just, he declared himself Pope. More or less, he was just, that's how he saw himself. And with that came the idea that you can't question the guy. Let's run this like a cult. So people are afraid to leave once they're in. Did that work? Nope. Mass exodus from his church. And we'll get into that in a second. I only got a few minutes here. But uh, number three, right pastor, completely erroneous. Uh, if you accept this notion, then you must accept that everyone else is wrong and that only your right pastor is, well, right. You must then discard all the books and teachings of the truly great minds of Christian theology. Hint, hint, this man is calling himself Pope. Uh, four, it is the joy of the believer to study the word of God. This study should not be a chore. It requires no acronyms, formulas, and invented so-called doctrines for you to hear from God through his holy scriptures. The Bible was recorded so that even the most simple-minded believer could understand it clearly. This is made possible by the presence of the Holy Spirit within us, believers. Theme was able to use, uh, rewrite the Bible by telling the congregation that they couldn't understand it. I clearly remember having this very argument with classmates in my high school and sneering at them for thinking they could read God's word themselves. Ooh, boy, this sounds like papacy. If any of you are reading this, know that I've actually lost sleep over that argument in my adult years. 
So this person's saying that theme taught people they were stupid and that they need a, uh, a holy father that could teach them. So we have the false alpha aspect of him being Mr. Military. We have the false alpha aspect of him being um, Il Papa, the Pope, the spiritual authority over the entirety of the church and the undisputed master of all doctrine. Huh. Okay. Well, does that work? No. Now, Theme tried to do a cultural message too. He would rail against communism. He would rail against feminism as witchcraft. He would say a ton of stuff that makes right-wingers like myself go, Yeah! That's right. But his theology wasn't right. His theology wasn't right. His, uh, the way he treated his church isn't going to hold it together. And if your theology is not right, and if your, uh, your marriage theology is not right, and it does not matter how manly you think you are, It does not matter how good you are at talking about the Bible. And if you could translate all of the scriptures by yourself, which Bob Thien claimed to have done, apparently he was really bad with his Greek, but oh well. If you get your soteriology wrong, to the point where nobody feels like they have to do what God said, um, your church isn't going to hold together and God's not going to honor that. And if you screw up marriages... God's not going to honor that. No matter how much you run your church like a cult, no matter how much you have military discipline in there, no matter how much you've convinced everybody in that church that they are utter idiots and they can, couldn't possibly understand the Bible without him. If you hold the easy believism, they're going to stray. They're going to either go to a better pastor and a better teacher, or they are going to decide they don't have to go to church at all. Now, he had a uh, doctrine of privacy, by the way, that said you shouldn't even go next door, don't witness, don't visit, don't do evangelism. You don't have to tend to the sick or the elderly, the dying, the infirm, the weak, or the needy. Um, now, when it comes to that, he would claim that if you sin, you're reverting in your spiritual growth back to ground zero where you are just saved your rewards go away and you need to re-revert. You know, go, go back into your progression, your progress towards the heavenly realms there. Uh, almost like Armstrongism, but uh, more Baptisty. But at the end of the day, you can do all that stuff, but people are just going to feel justified in leaving or uh, not really doing anything. And the marriages are going to be destroyed. And you're not really listening to the word of God. Jesus says, all who believe and are baptized shall be saved. Why on earth would you neglect baptism? If you go to Barakah's website now, they don't list baptism as an ordinance. They're so afraid of people holding to baptismal regeneration that they don't even list it. They just do the Lord's Supper. How about that? Bob Thiem tried to fight against the culture by being the colonel. 
He tried to rise above the the tidal wave of the sexual revolution by screaming about feminism while telling literally everybody, hey, it's okay, you could just say Jesus is like cool or whatever and you'll be saved. Now go to military communion. Very, 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 very silly. But, um, oh yeah, by the way, theme denounced water baptism entirely. So, of course, that that leads them right to the point where they don't even obey the Great Commission. I guess you could say that if you're not a real Christian, or if you're a an excruciatingly heterodox Christian, your manliness isn't going to save you. That's not the real kind of masculinity we, we need right now. I want the masculinity of a strident and ardent defender of the faith who's willing to get violent if he has to but also holds to a real and orthodox faith. If we look at church history, the opposite of this Bob theme dude is St. Nicholas of Myra. You know, knocking out heretics uh, like Arius in the middle of the Council of Nicaea, but also being there for his flock and doing hard work to make sure farmers survived droughts and he got prisoners out of prison and into his church. That's a man I can admire. That's a manly dude right there. Merry Christmas, everybody. Amen and amen.